Thank you for all tuning in at this time. And I, I really think about it, the blessing is you could be in your pajamas right now and with your slippers and cup of coffee and you could be enjoying the service. But I thank you so much and I love you all and I miss you all and we'll get through this. Stay connected. Today we're gonna to continue our, serve, our series, The Miracle of Giving. And we're gonna talk about the American Idol. You probably recognize that, that, uh, those, that song in the background as I came on. The American Idol. What is the American Idol? Well, before we get into that, where is the Bible talk about idolatry? Where's the first time that we hear about an idol? And I want us to read, if you're at home, take out your Bibles and turn to Exodus 20. We're just gonna read a few verses there, starting in uh, verse two. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in any form in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or to worship them for I am the Lord your God. I'm a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing love to thousands of generations of those who keep my commandments. Now you might be familiar with that. That's one of the 10 commandments, this, the first two actually, the 10 commandments. Fast forward a little bit and we read about a group of young men who were exiled and taken out of their country because of disobedience. And these young men were held captive by King Nebuchadnezzar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they were courageous because they stood against a king who had required, see, he built a huge and enormous golden statue of himself. And he, at certain times of the day, he would signal that everybody should bow down and worship that statue. Well, it was a clear choice for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because they knew what the word said. They were obedient to the command. They knew that you either bow down to God or you bow down to an idol. And it was a clear cut decision. And sometimes it's like that. It's pretty clear cut. We're, we're presented with something clear, but other times it's very sinister. And we don't even realize that it's not a moment, but it's a slow fade. Do you ever hear that song? It's a slow fade and we're imperceptibly, we're bowing the knee to an idol, to the American idol. Now in today's perspective, you're not gonna be asked to go to work or school or just be on the street and hear a signal and bow down to a statue. Let's be real. But there are idols in all of our lives that we bow down to. An idol could be anything that we place ahead of God in our lives, 
anything that takes God's place in our hearts can be an idol. And that could be your possessions, your careers, your relationships, your hobbies, your sports, your entertainment, your goals, addictions. And let me just divert a little bit from my notes here. Think about what I'm saying. Every one of those things have been slowly, systematically removed from our life in a matter of weeks. Think about it. Sports. Have you ever seen sports to shut down totally? The American, you know, basketball, hockey, baseball. I mean, casinos shut down. Disneyland shuts down. It seems like all these pleasures and idols that are taking our eyes off of God are now removed. And, you know, God can work all things together for the good. God didn't cause this coronavirus, but he's working it out for the good because the distractions are being removed from our lives. So what are you doing there during this time when you're separated from all these distractions? I hope you're not home binge watching on Netflix because this is an opportunity where we can draw close to God and hear his voice instead. Scripture tells us that whatever we do, we are to do it to the glory of God. And we are to serve him only. And unfortunately, God has been shoved out of the way because we're zealously pursuing all these other things. Our hearts are not worshiping the one true God. And it's Satan's trap, Satan's trap to get our focus off of God and onto ourselves. So the major distraction that I want to talk about today in this series is the American idol of money, riches. Now, many of you are just going, well, that doesn't apply to me because I don't have any money. I mean, I'm not rich. I work from, you know, paycheck to paycheck. That's, that's how it works in our house. But do you know, if you own a car, and many of you own cars, and your family, maybe there's two or three cars in the family, you are among the 9% wealthiest people in the world. And not only cars, we have houses to keep the cars in. I mean, we have the garage. I mean, wealth, the definition of wealth is having enough to live a normal life. Many of us have more than we need. We have more clothes than we need. We have rooms. They're not closets. They're rooms. We have rooms that are filled with clothes. And we look in the closet in the morning and we say, I have nothing to wear today. We are rich. According to the world standards in the USA, you're rich. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus had a lot to say about warning us about the idol of money. He could have set anything up as the primary competitor of, of uh, uh, our hearts, the competitor to God. He could have easily said something like, you cannot serve God in power, or you cannot serve God in sex. But no, he said, you cannot serve both God and money. And if you read in Matthew 6, verse 24, it says, no man can serve two masters, for he either will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. 
You cannot serve both God and money. You know, to serve money is to place such a high value on it that we place our trust and we put our faith in it. We look to, our, look to money for our security and our happiness. And here Jesus, right here in this verse, he likens money to idolatry, that we're serving money instead of serving God. We should serve nothing but our creator. And this makes us guilty of breaking those commandments I read in the very beginning. Jesus said money, wealth, seems to be the primary competitor. Money can be an idol because it gives us a false independence. It gives us a, a false salvation because we, we can think that if we want to buy anything, we can just do it if we have enough money. Or if we get ourselves in trouble, money will get us out of it. Or if we want to be happy, money will buy us happiness. And it will keep us from sorrow. But it's not too long before those illusions, you, you'll see it's just an illusion. And money can't buy happiness, and it can't keep us from sorrow, and it certainly can't save us. Jesus had a lot to say about wealth. His most memorable conversation about money is in the passage in Matthew 19. And if you're home, you can't see behind me like we normally do. So take your Bible and turn to Matthew 19. I want you to read with me. I'll give you a second to turn to that. His, his conversation with this rich young ruler. This rich young ruler had a stirring in his heart. There's something just wasn't right in him. And he approached Jesus. In Matthew 19, verse 16, it says, Just then, a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. It is, if you want to enter life, keep the commandments. And which ones, he re inquired. And Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? See, there was something in his heart. He knew something was mi missing. That's why he asked the question in the first place. And notice what Jesus did here. He didn't tell him the first four commandments, which has to do with our relationship with God. Because I believe he was testing this young man, as perhaps he's testing you right now. Jesus said, if you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. See, what Jesus was saying wasn't saying necessarily to us who, who may have wealth that you have to sell everything and give to the poor and, and be poor yourself. I believe what he's, this is a heart issue here. Jesus was saying, get your heart right. What about all this excess you have? Are you generous with it? Use your wealth to advance my kingdom. 
Now, Jesus must have looked at his disciples and their mouths were dropped because they, they heard this and they couldn't believe what Jesus said. Jesus said, truly, I tell you, it's hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, this was an exaggeration. This was what we call hyperbole. What Jesus was saying, it's impossible for that to happen. It's impossible for a rich man. We just established that everybody here in this country is basically rich. So I'm talking to you. It's impossible for you to get to the king, enter the kingdom of heaven, except, let's read on. When the disciples heard this, they were astonished and asked, who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. See, Jesus, what he was saying was wealth is the biggest obstacle that would keep anyone and everyone from faith in Jesus Christ. And the, and the reason is obvious because we become a slave. It becomes our master. Uh, our lives are driven in all kinds of ways if money is our idol. And think of the expense of, uh, of the workaholic or, or even the person that would sacrifice family time uh, because he's working, working, working. Good news is that we can enter the kingdom of heaven. We can enter the kingdom of God because it is possible with God. He's not saying that wealth is sinful. He's not saying that money is, is uh, sinful. It's not offensive to God for you to have money because God often blessed uh, his saints and his servants. Think about Abraham. He was one of the wealthiest Old Testament fathers. He had flocks and herds and silver and gold and Jacob, the same including family. We see God blessed. Oftentimes, he showed his pleasure by, by blessing people. King Solomon, these are our examples. He was the wealthiest king who ever lived. And these are men, examples of wealthy men that God used in powerful ways. Jesus didn't say it was impossible for rich people. With God, it's possible. Think of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, you could turn to Luke 19, verse 8. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He was a despised tax collector because he cheated his own people. And he was one of the richest men in Jericho. And he had a stirring in his heart. And he felt that something wasn't right as well. As he climbed into a tree to just to get a glimpse of Jesus, Jesus looked up and said, come on down, Zacchaeus, I'm going to come to your house today and I'm going to have supper with you. And in the middle of this supper, it dawned on Zacchaeus. He got a revelation of what he should do with his wealth. And this is what he said in verse 8. Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. He realized what his wealth wasn't a curse, but it was to be used in the right way. Joseph of Arimathea, he was a rich religious leader. 
He brought spices to anoint the dead body of Jesus, 75 pounds of myrrh and aloe. That was worth a king's ransom. That was mucho dinero, a lot of money. Those were people who had riches. God didn't shut them out, but he allowed them to use their wealth in ways that advanced the kingdom. See, it's not the riches that are sin, but they present the danger that because of them, they become our idol. In the New Testament, we see other wealthy people who helped during Jesus' own ministry. There were women who were wealthy, who actually helped support Jesus and his disciples, Joanna and Susanna and many others. When Philip, um, not Philip, excuse me, when Paul preached in Philippi, he went to a group of worshipers who were by the river, and many of them were merchants, and there was one woman in particular who was wealthy. Her name was Lydia. She was a dealer in purple cloth. Now, back in Bible times, purple dye was very expensive. So here she was a dealer in purple cloth. We know she was a businesswoman, and she was a worshiper. And it says, one of those listening... In, this is in Acts 16, verses 14 and 15. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And when she and members of her household were baptized, she invited us to come to our home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. See, these were people that God used to help support and advance the kingdom. Individuals of great means, they were wealthy, they were called on for a special work, and they used their wealth in the right way. Because wealth itself is, is neutral. It's not good or bad. We could either use it to enhance good or create more evil. Money can be used for our selfish goals or for God's purposes. But when money becomes our idol, it becomes our downfall. Jesus illustrated this, and a few weeks ago, I think it was Elliot who preached about this rich fool. Here he was a farmer. He had a huge harvest, and an abundant harvest, and he was contemplating what to do with all this, and he had the idea that he should just store it up and build bigger barns and then take life easy. But here, I want to pick this up just in verse uh, chapter 12 of Luke. Verse 15, Jesus was saying in the beginning of this story, he said, watch out, be on your guard, Guard against all kinds of greed. For life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. And if we went down, if we continued in that chapter and we went to verse 20, after this parable that he told about this rich man, he said, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with those who stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. See, the richest people in the world 
are not those who have the most, but they're those who need the least. We have to learn to be content with what we have. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, I'll give you a second to turn to that. 1 Timothy chapter 6, we can read what Paul writes. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and to many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. See, godliness with contentment, that's experiencing life the way God intended it for you. It's not being disappointed with what you don't have or yearning to have what everybody else has. That's coveting. Remember, an idol, if you take those letters, I, I, it, D, doesn't, O, offer, L, life. It doesn't offer life. Money promises only what God can offer us. Now, I know many of you who are meeting here uh, in your homes, originally you were asked to meet in community groups and you were provided with an outline or a discussion, some discussion questions. I would ask that you would save that for maybe a later time at the end. Um, and we're just going to continue now with our, our series here um, because I want to talk about what are some distractions, what are some warning signs that you might be idolizing money. Remember I said it's sinister. Sometimes you're not even aware of it, but these are some obvious signs. Maybe you're spending more money than you make. You might say, well, how can I do that? How could I possibly do that? How many credit cards do you have? Some people have five, six, and they're to the max, and they're in debt because they're just paying off the interest. Some people just want to add luxury upon luxury and pleasure upon pleasure. Wealth has become a thing that they live by. I mean, they have to go to the fine dining at least two or three times a week. Go to the theater. Have box seats at, at the sporting events. I mean, even if you're charging it, you're spending more than you're making. That's a sure sign that money, the American idol, is your idol. Now, this is a sure sign. Well, let me just go back to the credit card thing. Trinkets. If you're trying to keep up with the latest electronics, I mean, I'm thinking about the launch of the iPhone 11 Pro. I mean, just... If, you're, if you don't need these things, you don't necessarily have to get them if it's putting you in debt. You're idolizing money. Now, stop giving to the church. That's another sure sign. You stop 
is way low on your priority list of, of giving, way low of spending. God isn't first. God is not being worshipped. You're serving self and you're serving money. Those who idolize money and wealth and possessions may not even use them. Some people have a miser mentality or a hoarding mentality. They just get pleasure in building their portfolio or just looking at their bank book and watching the interest rise and seeing how much they can build up that account. They're delighted with that. Some people even have to go out and get a storage unit and rent that out. Can you imagine that? Because you have so many things, you have to rent out a storage unit to keep it in. That is a sure sign that you are fallen to the American idol. People can use their wealth selfishly, completely. And if you crave your larger paycheck or your raise and you're craving it so that you can get the bigger TV or the fancier car or a more extravagant vacation or that that special cruise, you're really just thinking about yourself and what money can give you. That's a sure sign that money is your idol. How about this one? And this isn't just symptomatic of people who have money. You could be a person with not a lot of wealth and still, if money is constantly on your mind, you have money as your idol. Is it the first thing that you think of when you wake up? Is it the last thing you think of when you fall asleep? Is, your, is all your thoughts during the day centered about money? Earning more, saving more, spending more, paying off more? It could be an idol. And the Bible says to control your thoughts. Control these thoughts. Take every thought into captivity to the obedience to, of Christ. Here's another sign. The destination mindset. Have you ever heard, have you ever said this? If I can just get out of debt, then I'll be happy. Or once I get a fully funded retirement account, then I'll be set. All these, once I get to this goal, the problem is the way we all are, humanity, is once we reach a goal, we set another one. And we're constantly climbing this ladder to nowhere. If, if King Solomon was the wealthiest king who ever lived, and if you read in the book of Ecclesiastes, it was all vanity. If even that king could not be satisfied with all his possessions and all his wealth, he couldn't find true contentment with that. You could only find true contentment with a relationship with God. Financial idolatry is a real, it's alive and well in America, but recognize it in our lives is half the battle. It seems like what's happening now with this pandemic is kind of getting our attention. Those of us who has, have been guilty of idolizing money in our possessions because stocks have, have plummeted the economy, we don't know where it's going. But the hope is 
the hope is we don't put our trust in those things. And perhaps God is allowing these things to be removed temporarily in our lives so that we can get our focus right. Our contentment comes from him, not from the things that money can give us. I read that scripture in, in uh, 1 Timothy about uh, chapter 6 and, and uh, verse 10. It said, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people have twisted that and made it into money is the root of all evil. And that's not what it says. Money is not evil in itself. It's the love of money. It's when we selfishly desire it and use it. We could either do that or we can answer the cry of our neighbor. We could either buy forbidden things or we could help people who are really truly in need. The love of money is like a thirst that's insatiable. It's like riding on a raft in the ocean, dying for water, water's all around you, and you drink the seawater and you can never get quenched. That's what money is. You can never have your spiritual inner man quenched with money. You can't find security. You can't buy health. You can't buy real love. You can't preserve yourself from sorrow with money. The love of money can lead you in all wrong paths. Even trying to get extra money, you're working so hard, gambling or maybe doing illegal things for money. I want you to turn to somebody in your family and just tell them you're rich. You're rich. But not in the way the world thinks of wealth. First Timothy, I want to continue reading a few verses from First Timothy chapter 6. Remember, we established that you're all rich, right? You just said that to each other. So this scripture applies to you. First Timothy 6 verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, you will lay up treasure for themselves. They will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. So what are we doing with our wealth? Here he's telling us, do good, be rich in good deeds, and be generous and willing to share. So that's our attitude. That's the biblical attitude toward money. Shouldn't be how much I can get, how much I can keep. It's how much I can give. It's a difference in thought process. It's short-term gains or long-term treasures. And, you know, I joke about this sometime because I'm at retirement age, 
and I do have retirement, things figured out for retirement, but there's retirement benefits out of this world. Are you heaping up those kind of treasures? Your generosity, your giving, your serving, the one true God. Jesus reminds us that no wealth here will last. Stocks crash, money stolen, houses burned down, clothes wear out. But when you use your money to serve others and glorify God, you're investing in eternal treasure. It's not that we shouldn't seek riches at all because God can use those who are faithful and he will bless you with more as you're faithful with what he gives you. That's what the miracle of giving is. That's what the series is all about. The miracle of giving. Set your hope in the Lord. That's how you can experience true life. Remember, idol, it doesn't offer life. Serve the Lord with your giving. So just to summarize today, so far we learned that the Bible teaches that money is a good gift. Every good gift comes from the Father above, and he wants us to enjoy those gifts. We've also learned that money is a major temptation, and we learned that it's a terrible slave master. So how should we handle our money? These are some key takeaway points. And if you get the discussion guide, which I think we will be posting that on um, social media. If, if you're on social media now, you can just comment and inbox us, and we'll get discussion guides to you every week as long as we need to do that. But these are some key um, takeaway points that you could talk about during the week. The first one. Recognize that everything that you have ultimately belongs to God. God owns everything. Money, all the earth, everything. This means that anything that you have has been entrusted to you by God. None of us can keep it uh, permanently, and you're to use it wisely. We are to steward it in a wise way. Second thing, be thankful for what you have. We learned about contentment. We learned about wealth. The true definition is having enough that you need to live a normal life. Did the Lord bless you with food, clothing, a place to live, safety? Thank him for those things. Be content. Express your thanks. Third thing, be generous. I kind of touched on this. What does God want you to do with your money, with your wealth? The answer is so simple. Serve others and glorify him. And you don't have to have great wealth to do this. You could be just as generous with $5 as you can with $5,000. It's all a heart matter that God is talking about. Is it's characteristic of God to give. Didn't he give? He gave his one and only son. He gave. 
and it's characteristic of us as Christ followers to give. If our giving ranks above getting, then we got this. Money isn't our idol. Fourth thing, support the church and care for the poor. Begin with your faithful tithe of 10%. And, I, and you've probably heard this, and I can attest to this. You, your 90% that you keep for yourself, God will expand it and ex- allow you to get everything you need with that, more so than if you kept your 100%. Because if you read in Malachi, there's holes in your pocket if you don't honor God with your wealth. And you'll end up spending it on all sorts of other things. So begin to tithe faithfully to the church. And if you're already giving, don't do it reluctantly. Ask God to change your heart. Fifth thing, cultivate contentment and guard against greed. I want to read a scripture in Hebrew. Hebrews 13. It says this, keep your lives free from money, from the love of money. I'm sorry. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I I forsake you. Do you believe that? If you're satisfied with whatever God gives you, you will hold an open hand and you will not grip your things and your money so tightly that you're not willing to share. You won't feel you have to hoard money because you know that God is faithful and he's never going to leave us. He is sovereign God and he will provide for our needs. Do you find yourself collecting possessions? Not content but just collecting things because it's the latest, I talked about the latest gadget, or because you're influenced by advertising. Advertising has our hearts and our minds turned toward things where we covet things. I mean, it's a multi-million dollar business, advertising, trying to get our hearts focused on possessions. Notice what tugs at your heart. Be honest with yourself. Watch out for those things. Cultivate contentment and guard against greed. Cut up your credit cards if you have to. I made guitar picks out of some of mine. You just, if that is inflaming your lust for more things, get rid of them. Treat money, your possessions, as a gift from God, not as a God. So now I want to just speak to everyone here uh, watching on live stream, whether you're part of the Christ Fellowship family or you're watching online or listening while you're traveling. I want you to just concentrate and pray with me. Lord, forgive us for setting our hope in money. 
We repent of idolizing money, of worshiping money, of trusting in money, of being enslaved by money. We admit that we have been dissatisfied and unfulfilled, discontent, because we never seem to have enough because we've made the American Idol money our God. Forgive us, forgive us. We have so much to be content with and grateful for. So right now we say thank you. We confess to you that we have been selfish and oftentimes greedy. Help us, Lord. Release us. Release the grip that we hold on our money. Help us to be generous, especially in times like this, when there's so many needs all around us. Today, we choose to put our hope in the one true God, in Jesus Christ alone. Lord, we declare that our life is not our own, that you bought us with your precious blood, the blood of Jesus Christ. We declare that your finances are a gift, that the finances you blessed us with are a gift from you, and we want to give it back. We want to use it to glorify you and to help others. We, to, we choose to use them just like Lydia and those we mentioned, Lord, for purposes to maximize our wealth for purposes for the kingdom. And Lord, those who are watching on live stream, God, I, I pray if this is all new to them, if they've never had a relationship or understood this relationship with Jesus. Lord, that you would direct them, that, that they would turn to, to you. Look, if you're watching today and you're listening, start with the book of John. Read the book of John during this time that you're separated from everything else in the world. And you'll learn about Jesus's ministry while he was here on the earth. You'll learn about his love and his forgiveness. I just ask, oh God, that you would give life, Lord, that you would activate by your spirit. Those who are listening, perhaps just out of curiosity, that don't know who you are, God, that they would turn to you and surrender their hearts and their lives to you. Is only you. You are the hope of the world, God. And we say this in Jesus' name. Amen.